This film is lit. The podcast where we finally settle the score on one simple question. Is the book really better than the movie? I'm Brian, and I have a film degree, so I watch the movie, but don't read the book. And I'm Katie. I have an English degree, so I do things the right way and read the book before we watch the movie. So prepare to be wowed by our expertise and charm as we dissect all of your favorite film adaptations and decide if the silver screen or the written word did it better. So turn it up, settle in, and get ready for spoilers, because this film is lit. Revenge is a dish best served at the bottom of a hole in the middle of a desert highway. It's Dolan's Cadillac, and this film is lit. Hello and welcome back to this film lit podcast where we talk about movies that are based on books. On this week's episode, it is an Academy Award winning patron request from Shelby. It's Dolan's Cadillac. Say, if you didn't listen to our prequel episode, this is a Stephen King short story slash novella. From the 70s? Uh, 80s. 80s? Mid-80s. Mid-80s. Um, that was in uh, Collections, first published in a... It was first published in his uh His newsletter, newsletter thing, yeah. Castle Rock. Castle or, Rock, I think, yeah. Yes, uh, but originally, uh, eventually combined into the Nightmares and Dreamscapes collection. Yes. It's the first one, right? Or The first in, oh, in yeah, the book, the in the collection. One. At yeah. least in this edition in that, that edition I have. I don't, I don't know yeah. if it's different in other editions. Yes. Um, and then there's a 2009 film made by some people in Canada starring some people that you know. Christian Slater, Wes Bentley, Emmanuel Valkier, Valkier. I don't, I still don't know how to pronounce her name. And we watched it. So we're going to talk about it. We have first, in case you haven't seen or read, let me sum up. Let me explain. There is too much. Let me sum up. All right. This is a really basic. This is the gist of it. Yes. The narrator, Robinson, spends years figuring out how to exact revenge on Dolan, the mobster who murdered Robinson's wife, Elizabeth, to keep her from testifying against him. Through careful planning, hard work, and single-minded commitment to a plan, Robinson is able to trap Dolan and bury him alive inside of his Cadillac. Hence the title. Yes. Dolan's Cadillac. Yes. Uh, the movie is almost identical. Uh, I would say it's a shorter time frame, probably. We don't get a sense exactly how long this takes place over yeah. in the film, but it is months at least. Yeah. Um, but I would say it's not years. It's probably... Over the course, say. maybe the course of a year, because well, at one point he's teaching, and then the summer break happens, and then he goes back to teaching, and it's like labor. So, like, we know a little bit of the time frame, and to me, it doesn't feel like it's it's probably all within a year. But other than that, the story is very similar in terms of like the basic the basic plot, premise. outline premise. Yeah, yeah. And the then movie adds some stuff. Yes, the movie adds stuff, and we're gonna get into that. But the rough premise is the same. The rough outline is the same. So. Uh, we do not do we, we don't have um, guess who? No, there were like little things here or there, but no real like full descriptions of what characters look like. Okay, but we do have our main segment, or one of our main segments. Was that in the book? Nicholas Flamel is the only known maker of the Philosopher's Stone. The what? Honestly, don't you two read? Or in this case, was that in the short story? 
Uh, with short stories, it's tough. I have a lot, a lot of questions. Um, I, I know a lot of times that the, the answer is going to be no when it's a short, short story to a movie because they tend to sort of use the short story as inspiration and then add quite a bit to it, which I imagine mm-hmm. is probably the case here, but we shall see. It's not that short of a story. It's not a few pages. It's 60, 70 pages. Yeah, it's in the, like, 50, 60. Yeah, so it's um, in the ballpark of something that could be translated rather faithfully-ish um, to a film. But uh, definitely assumed they added some stuff. So a lot of my questions, and this is kind of the first one, is this movie felt very film schooly mm-hmm. to me as somebody who's done films <laughs> during film school and worked on other people's films and written films, uh, short films and stuff during film school for film classes, that sort of thing. Uh, the whole thing felt very, it had the, it had the, the sheen of a, of a, a, a rosy eyed uh, sophomore film student trying to, make their make their way into the film break into the film world uh and so that's what a lot of these some of these questions are and we'll get to those but this first one is kind of that there's an opening monologue in the film that's very uh grandiose for lack of a better term where where our narrator robinson is talking about there's this man he doesn't name him at this point who when he looks at birds they fall off out of trees and if he looks at you, your 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 urine turns sour and your prostate like shrivels yeah. up or something. And he's the king of nowhere. And it's this very, again, a lot of these monologue moments feel very trying too hard to write a deep and cool screenplay uh, about like a crime, about crime and mm-hmm. like a crime boss guy. Uh, and this was one of those lines. So I wanted to know. If it was in the book. Throughout the movie, there are a few lines here and there that I've recognized that were pulled from the book. But this monologue is not one of them. Okay. I have more questions for these lines because that's one of the things that there are four lines because, yeah, there's several that I was like, oh, boy. Yeah. I recognize this um, having sat through, you know, screenwriting class or two. Uh <laughs> And uh, my other thing that I thought was interesting about this monologue is it's it's played in the beginning, yeah. but then halfway through the movie, roughly a little after halfway through the movie, we get that monologue again. And like the exact same. The exact same thing. The exact and it's just same a voiceover cut, yeah. again. It's not like he's saying it to somebody. You know what I mean? Like, it's not yeah. like we're getting it in a different context. But it's, they didn't even bother to like put different images under it or anything. No. <laughs> and, 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 it's, and it was so fascinating to me because it's like, but so clearly in my mind, this film got recut several times and uh-huh. this putting it at the beginning was some producer note or something that we need a punchier intro. Yeah. So let's put some dramatic voiceover about this big bad guy to kind of set the mood. We also get like a flash forward to like the moment where after he's like buried the car and his like gloves are all ripped up and he's like screaming and it's very dramatic. Mm-hmm. We get that at the very beginning during this monologue. And to me, that all felt very clearly like producer notes or something that we need a more interesting hook for the movie other than him being a teacher or whatever, <laughs> Like, yeah. which is how the movie then actually starts after that. Uh, so, yeah, I, I thought that was interesting. I wanted to know if that monologue was in the book, but it's not, which totally by uh, this next scene. I was very confused about as we were watching the movie and I'll explain why. Uh, so I have a question about it is that they we're introduced to our characters. Uh, they wake up 
and uh, Dol- uh, Robinson goes to make coffee or whatever, mm-hmm. which there's way too many coffee grounds in there. I don't. They didn't put a filter in. Their coffee was full of coffee grounds. It was very clear that they didn't have a filter in it. Are they like very textured coffee? Because it wasn't like they like their coffee with the pulp in. Yeah, and it's like it's one thing if you're now if you're doing like a French press or something and a little gets in. This was a normal coffee pot, like a yeah, normal like drip a normal style drip coffee style, yeah. thing. But there was just as it started filling up, it was just full of coffee grounds. And I was like, what? Do they, they don't have fill. Is this supposed to mean something? Is this uh, some sort of symbolism here? But then I, I, there's nothing to attach to it. Yeah. Um, but unless, oh, just... I guess reminiscent of the dirt going into the 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 hole at the end. Maybe, Maybe some visuals. I don't of... know right now if you're overthinking that or if you're thinking I'm about thinking... it the exact right way. Yes. I, here's the thing. <laughs> I I... This this filmmaker as is as mediocre of a filmmaker as I am, so I can get into this headspace of this kind of like shitty half baked like visual metaphor right up my alley. Let me tell you. <laughs> um, so I'm wondering if maybe that's what's going on. But while he's making coffee, uh, his 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 girlfriend Elizabeth, mm-hmm. her fiance. A girlfriend. I think they're married. They're, in the they book, may be but married. I, I guess yeah. they don't ever say. I don't know if the they movie. ever say in the. Uh, they probably do at some point. But anyways, his partner, uh, she's she's taking a pregnancy test in the bathroom and she looks at it and she 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 makes a noise. But I couldn't tell what the noise meant. And she comes out from the bathroom and she she says it was negative or something. And then like insinuate or uh, instigate sex. Uh-huh. And then they just go to the bedroom or whatever. And in my head, I thought this scene was so strange that somebody because in my head she was. She was took the pregnancy test and it was negative, so she was like, "Woof! Thank God we can go have more sex." Was what I read that scene as. So absolutely puzzled that how you got the exact opposite. <laughs> I literally read it because <laughs> I literally read it exactly opposite of what it's supposed to be, which is in in the context. Yes, it's supposed to be. Oh, it's negative. Shucks, we got to try again. Yeah. In my head, it's woof. It's negative. Get back to having sex. We don't got to deal with this. Like, you know what I mean? Like, she didn't have. To, otherwise, they're gonna have to like. She's gonna have to go get Plan B. What? I don't even know. I or oh, we're just gonna have to deal with the fact that I'm pregnant. Because in my head, it was astounding to me that somebody could actually want to be pregnant. <laughs> I was like, that can't be what it is. I don't know why I didn't read it the right way, but the whole pregnancy test thing sent in the book. Um, no, them trying to have a baby is a movie add-in, and. Might I add, just the laziest, yes. most uninteresting way to make a try to make your audience connect to this couple to like yeah. show that they're in love and like drum up sympathy for them. Yeah, it's just the laziest, most uninteresting thing. It, oh, absolutely, you could possibly do for sure. And apparently, doesn't even work correctly for some audience members. No. No, which is, you know, it's, yeah, for me, it didn't. And I'm sure I'm an outlier there. I don't know why I read it. Maybe, I guess it was her reaction to the test didn't read disappointed, or at least, like, she, you know what I mean? She doesn't have, like, an overdramatic, I don't like, know. I don't even really remember yeah, what exactly Yeah, I don't remember her, her reaction. Her but reaction I felt like she just was. looks at it and kind of like, hmm, and like, I don't know. Because yeah. to me, I, I didn't even pay attention to her reaction because... To me, opening with her trying to hope, opening with her taking the pregnancy test, 
to me is, oh, they're trying to have a baby. Because usually if you're not trying to have a baby and you take a pregnancy test, that's somewhere like a little bit further into the narrative. No, that makes perfect sense. I agree with all of that. I don't know why I interpreted it the way it did at first until I realized, but I I, I can't explain it uh, other than the fact that to me, again, it's astounding that somebody would not astounding. I understand it, but like I was not in the headspace, you know, like, oh yeah, obviously they want to have a kid like, eh. So then we just it, this movie abruptly cuts to she's a, she rides horses. It's never I mean, right. it, it, you know, whatever. It's just her hobby, I guess. Um, so she's like riding out in the desert and she comes across this scene where, well, we see these these people in a in a um, in a truck, like a moving truck mm-hmm. being driven through the desert. And it's these women in the back. And it's very clear that it's uh, people smuggling people across the border, mm-hmm. essentially. And uh, the truck arrives at some place and Dolan shows up in his his big fancy Cadillac SUV. Um, and there's some sort of issue. I don't even know exactly what the because they're all like, like passed the, out from heat exhaustion. In yeah, because the there was like a, a fan blowing into the back, yeah, but then it, it breaks, breaks while yeah. they're driving. So like uh, some of them are dead some and of some of them, get, them are yeah. just like passed out. Yeah, yeah. And so he shoots the driver uh, and then shoots the other guy who was like the other guy in the front. And then one of the women tries to run away and he shoots her. And this whole time, our uh, Elizabeth is just sitting on top of this ridge watching it all. Just like in plain view. Like like silhouetted against the sky. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like just as obvious as could possibly be. And she's not far away. She's like. No. A hundred yards or something like, you know, up this up this hill. And even as the girl starts running towards her, she just sits there. When and she's like trying to, she's got her cell phone and she's yeah. like trying to, I guess, call 911. Yeah, you assume she's going to call 911, but she just sits there. <laughs> I was like, forever. girl, just like, like go a, a little bit, yeah. like go down onto the other side of the ridge yeah. or something and then call where they can't see, see you, you and shoot at you. You're watching them shoot people with guns and you're just sitting there. Oof. She does. She has some real interesting choices in this film. Uh, that definitely took me out of sort of the, the setup. Um, but yeah, so she just sits there and watches the murder mall and then she gets shot at and she drops her phone yeah. uh, and, and, and runs away um, and, and she gets away. Does that play out like that in the book? Cause I found that scene very frustrating to watch. No, the book actually doesn't tell us what it was that Elizabeth witnessed or how it happened or anything mm, like okay. that. Just that she witnessed something and she was set to testify against Dolan when she was killed. Right. Okay. Man, that scene was infuriating. And it's infuriating that you would add a scene like that and then do it so poorly. Yeah. Because, <laughs> I mean, the reasonable thing, I feel like, is to have her come upon this. And then, like, as she's trying to, like, scoot away without yeah. being noticed, like her horse her f- whinnies or, or like phone rings or, or or like she disturbs some dirt and yeah. it slides down yeah and then they chase her or something yeah. and then in the chase she drops her phone yeah. or like you know and then because the phone dropping is important because that's how they're ultimately able to find her i assume right. is through her phone number that once they get a hold of her cell phone then they get her contact information or whatever um which is how they ultimately find her which is why our people have to go into witness protection essentially because uh, she's witnessed these this crimes now and she can testify but yeah it plays out slow so clumsily and so infuriatingly like you're watching it, you're like what are you do like it's it's, yeah. it's one of those things like in a bad horror movie where you're like you just 
you're an idiot. <laughs> like, what are you doing? And then, you know, there's something to be said about being in shock and not knowing how to deal with a situation like that. But this is a very, she's not like in an immediately life-threatening situation where she's like, at gu- you know what I mean? Like where she, her reaction, she's just sitting there. Like, why? It's like, and she thinks to call the cops, just, right. just, well, just and it's, it's almost it, it weird too, because she's sitting there and it almost looks like, she doesn't know what to do yeah. or like she's trying to figure out what's going yeah, on. Yeah, like she doesn't get what's going on. Yeah. And it's just like sitting there watching and I'm like, please move. Yeah. <laughs> do, do something. Because it becomes very obvious very quickly what she's looking at. Again, she's not that far away. She can see and she can see the back of the truck. And as soon as he shoots a guy, she reacts but doesn't do anything. She stays for like another minute. Just sit. Uh, anyways. Um, yeah. Very frustrating. Uh, so then they go to report this crime to their local sheriff. She she rides mm-hmm. off and they go to report this to they go to the local sheriff's office. Her and uh, Robinson and they're talking to this local sheriff. And this local sheriff is uh, this movie's definitely trying to do a little bit of like expose of the people in power being racist type of thing. You know, having yeah. trying to have some commentary about that because this sheriff is the most cartoonishly racist person in the movie, other than Dolan, who we'll get to. He goes on this diatribe about uh, uh, immigrants coming over the border illegally or yes. whatever, as he describes it. He calls it like an alien invasion. And he, and he, but he goes on this rant, and he just throwing out uh, racial epithet after racial epithet about uh, uh, Mexican immigrants and, and just going crazy. And then he's like, well, I can't do anything about it, whatever, because they're not, you know, it's not. he doesn't care and it, whatever. Um, so ultimately, I have to go to the FBI. But is that, is that scene in the book with the cartoonishly racist racist sheriff? No, no cartoonishly racist sheriff. Yeah. 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 And it's one of those things, too, where, you know, because it happens again with Dolan later. And it's not to say that there aren't people like that, because there definitely are. Yeah. You know what I mean? But it's such a cartoon depiction of racism. <laughs> where it's just like. Well, it's one of those things. It's one of those truth is stranger than fiction Things where, like, yeah, there are people like that, but when you see it presented this way in fiction, it just comes off as ringing false. Yeah, I think it's a a much more effective version of that scene is is a much more subtle version of that scene. Yes, (laughs) a more subtle version, and like, if you really so badly want him to be throwing slurs around, like have a quick scene after she leaves where he like turns to his coworker yeah. and says all the horrible things like, eh. yeah, it just comes off as ringing false. Yeah, it absolutely does. So then we cut from that to uh, a scene of um, Dolan. Now after this, he's murdered these people and stuff uh, in his apartment or whatever, like cleaning up after the fact and he's discussing with his like second in command his like muscle guy mm-hmm. about the whole situation about how it's all messed up and he's exposing these views that you know it's it's terrible that he has to do this and that he basically goes on this big rant about how like all, all you know that's it's the haves and the have nots and these poor immigrants have to come across illegally because the system's all messed up and i'm i'm the good guy here you know helping them across and it's such a such a terrible thing that I have to do this, but you know he's basically kind of setting up that he sees himself as the as all people do sort of the hero and his you know mm-hmm. uh he he doesn't see himself as the bad guy quote unquote um and it's this kind of interesting monologue it's again it's not subtle and it doesn't ever they don't really ever expound on it anymore except for kind of at the very end a little bit um with a turn of events that happens. 
is any of that sort of exposition with Dolan and about his motivations and how he views what he's doing as a human trafficker. Is that any of that from the book? No, uh, we don't ever interact with Dolan until Robinson is burying him in the book. Oh, okay. I mean, yeah. And that's, that's a change that makes sense though mm-hmm. for the movie to kind of have more to set up our protagonist and have him be a character that we're interacting with. Yeah. It's a movie change that yeah, it makes, makes sense. sense for a movie at least yeah the idea the fact that he's in it more whether or not I, I didn't hate the idea of him sort of presenting that idea of him seeing himself as the the hero in this story even though he has to do bad things you know he's like oh i'm mm-hmm. actually helping these people like I, like this weird twisted like rationalization that he's doing kind of makes sense to me and i think is an interesting choice for his character again i they don't do a ton with it he kind of just becomes a generic villain after that where mm-hmm. he's just kind of gross the whole rest of the time but i like that scene i thought it was interesting uh and then do they find them just instantly so like she runs away and they go to the feds or no they go to the sheriff they and, go to the sheriff and he they doesn't do anything and he doesn't do anything and then and seemingly then... they come home from the sheriff or it could be another time right but, but they come back right and they come back and then there's the the corpse of one of the women in, I, in their I, bed i think it's the one he shot who was like running Maybe her yeah, menu, who knows, know. but yeah. Uh, and she so and then so she freaks out, and then now they have to go to like the feds or whatever. Yes, um, to yeah. Then the next scene is them like talking to an FBI agent. Yeah, uh, do they find them that quickly, or do we get any of that sort of because I thought that was like wow, they found them because he has one scene where he's like, I got we got the phone, find him, and then the next scene they found him and put a dead person in their bedroom. <laughs> it's like, well, okay. I mean, I guess conceivably, if they had her phone, it wouldn't be terribly hard yeah. to find them. But the book doesn't give any details about what happens before Elizabeth dies. So interesting. Okay, so this is our our villain does this several times in the movie. Dolan monologues um, in mm-hmm. sort of a pompous like that that like arrogant smartest guy in the room. smartest guy in the room who's like oh too smart for his own good but isn't as smart as he thinks he is kind of thing and and mm-hmm. in this one he's yeah very he's cocksure like, yeah, yeah he's like ranting about like he's got like where where are they because i think this is the one where he's trying they're after they go into hiding yeah i think this is where they're trying to find like where the fbi is keeping yeah. them and he's like where and he's like goes he gives like a dictionary definition of what where is and then he goes through this whole big thing and he's like where is where what about like it's this big pretentious like oh god like i just again i had flashbacks to film class like screenwriting class just <laughs> oof i had definitely had fucking um, monologues like that and stuff i've written it's very like trying to be quentin tarantino or something it's just oh boy um, is that mono? And so here's my question. Is that monologue from the book or is that something that I should blame on a very, uh, mediocre film screenwriter? That's definitely something you should blame on a mediocre yes. screenwriter, I had not a from the book. I had a feeling. Uh, so then the big moment happens where Elizabeth dies and the way this plays out in the movie again. So there's, there's, there we get like a montage of them, like living in this hotel room basically. And they have security out front and out back kind of watching them. Um, and there's like scenes of them, like having sex and stuff. And they're still trying to have a kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she goes, she, they have sex and she wants to, to take a pregnancy test, but she's out of them. So she just in the middle of the night 
grabs the keys and runs out the door and runs down the stairs and like sneaks out. Well, she wakes up and immediately vomits. Oh, right, right, right. Which makes her think like, oh, morning sickness. Maybe I'm pregnant. So she wants to take a test, but alas, the box is empty. So she, I guess what we're supposed to get is that she like gets so excited in the moment that she runs outside and... To her car. Yeah. Uh, And then she runs down to her car and our guy realizes she left and he goes, uh, Robinson is like chasing after her and she gets to the car and turns it on. The car explodes. Yes. And now she's dead. And it's just, boy, she's painfully dumb. Like, I I get it. I get the idea is like she's excited and she's "Ah," and maybe they're bored. She's tired of being cooped up and maybe thinks it's not quite as dangerous as other. I Whatever. So sneaking out in the middle of the night when you're under FBI protective services from a guy who you've seen actively murder people and Mm -hmm. who left a dead body in your bed. Not the most brilliant idea in the world. Uh, But she explodes. And now this is what sets everything off. Is that how it plays out in the book? Or do we know how she dies in the book? It it is a car bomb in the book. We know that it's a car bomb, but we don't know exactly how it plays out. Again, them trying to get pregnant isn't a plot point. And like, yeah, a girl... (laughs) You're in witness protection to testify against the leader of a human trafficking racket. Like, is this the best time to keep trying to get pregnant? Yeah. And, like, you two aren't old, so maybe no. we can wait a little bit. Yeah, they're, like, like in it's, their... It's not like she's in her late 30s. No, they're and in like... their 20s or early 30s at the latest, yeah. I would assume. Again, I'm kind of just guessing. Yeah, they don't seem... Partic- but, yeah. Yeah. It doesn't uh, seem like it's particularly urgent. No. If it is, the movie does not tell us that. No, no, they're not. Yeah, there's no thing of like, oh, we only have, you know, a few years left and then it gets very unsafe or, you know, very dangerous. Yeah. There's nothing like that. And even still, I think it, even if that, even if they still, she does want to still get, it's just, okay. And I get you're excited or whatever, but. And she does, there is indication in the movie that she maybe. I don't know if she doesn't think it's as dangerous as it actually is, or maybe she has, like, too much faith in the system. Yeah. Because there's one point where she says, like, oh, we only have to make it until after the trial. Yeah. And, like, I turned to you while we were watching, and I was like, do you know what organized yeah. crime well, is? And, and Robinson explains that to her a little bit, at least. He's yeah. like, oh, it's not... Quite that simple, you know. Like, like yeah. even he says, like he'll kill you whether or not he's in. He'll try to kill yeah. you whether or not he's like in you prison. guys are gonna have to go actually into yeah. witness yeah. protection. Yeah. You have to get new identities and just yeah. move. Like your life here is over. You're not. Yeah, uh, for sure. And oh boy, she uh, she is painfully naive in the movie yeah. in a way that is maybe realistic to some people i'm not saying it's like completely unrealistic or anything but it's just it is one of those things like the moment earlier with her watching this whole thing that is incredibly frustrating yes it's just like uh, (laughs) come on so uh this is one of the other scenes we talked about sort of the cartoony racism of this movie is uh dolan so there's this big build-up uh Robinson is going to try to kill Dolan. Like he's mm-hmm. he's he's because, purchased a gun. Yeah, and we've seen he's been watching Dolan like go in and out of this hotel, this casino or hotel that he yeah. lives, lives at in Vegas, and he's been like watching him and taking notes. And yeah, he bought a big gun, and he's like finally going to go shoot and sh- kill him. He's going to shoot him, and the time he goes up to sh- shoot him, uh, as he's getting ready to do it, a a van pulls up 
and it, these like this gang members hop out mm-hmm. and just like unload on the Cadillac as uh, Dolan gets into it and doesn't do anything because he's got this like tank of a Cadillac or whatever yeah. that he spent a billion dollars on. Uh, and then his bodyguard like kills the, 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 the gang members or whatever, and they drive away. Right. And so Dolan's not able to do anything. But as they're driving away, Dolan goes on this like insane, like racist diatribe about these gang members who tried to kill him, who are part of some like Asian they're, they're gang. They're all Asian. Try- yeah. So yeah. And they, they mention at some point before that, yeah. some kind of like, they're working with, I, I, I would be guessing, I don't remember which gang he said, you know, something like the Yakuza or something. Yeah. I, I don't know exactly, again, I I don't remember what gang he said, but it's like an, uh, a gang that is traditionally like an Asian gang of some sort. And he, uh, but he goes on this big, long diatribe just for like three minutes, just every possible racial epithet for an Asian person you could imagine he works into this. And then he goes into other Racial, he just lists, yeah, like every racial epithet yeah, he can possibly think of. Just says them one after the other, not even any sort of context. Again, it's like that overly, overtly cartoony, like, okay, yeah, sure, there are people like this, but this isn't how racism normally presents. But sure, uh, is that from the book, Dolan's whole thing? No, none of that is in the book. But while we're here, I want to talk about during that scene. When he's just gushing slurs, yeah. His driver, who is a black woman, yes, is clearly bothered by it. Yeah, she like, several she has, times turns, she and, turns like, and kind of looks, and she yeah. has like this look on her face, and she like she's clearly bothered by it. Yeah. And I was like, okay, movie, are we taking this somewhere? Yeah, you would think. You would think. Like I thought, oh, maybe she's gonna like at some point figure out what Robinson's plan is, yeah. but she's just just going to like let him go and do yeah. it. Oh, or, and then and the day he shows up for he day, the day he's going to travel and go the, and this whole thing's going to happen. Oh, she calls in sick that day and he yeah. has to get a different driver or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. Something. Something like something. that. But the movie does nothing with it. Literally nothing. Literally nothing. Never comes back. Do we even ever see her again? Well, she dies in the at the end. She's driving the Is car. Is she the one driving yeah, the car? Yeah, she's the one driving the car. Remember, yeah. And we only see like one shot because she like his yeah, his, his muscle just, in the seat breaks his leg and is alive for a while. She just dies immediately upon impact. Yeah. Apparently. I guess we see her like hanging out in the background a couple more times yeah, yeah, yeah. too, but like just it just doesn't do anything. They don't yeah, the movie doesn't do anything with, with it. It's like why after, give like, us that? after making a point of showing her react yeah, to it. You would think yeah, you were expecting something that to go somewhere. Nothing. Nothing. No. I think literally all this is is uh, just the movie gives us is 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 like very simplistically giving us reasons to be okay with Robinson burying this guy alive. Look how racist he is. Oh, he's a human trafficker. And he's a human trafficker who's not only a human trafficker, who, like, he he talks about him, like, the people as, like, you know, literally, like, like a stock. Like, yeah. like, like you know, he doesn't talk about him like people. He completely dehumanizes them. Oh, and he, he's trafficking women. Uh, and he like like and he wants him sexy and he like gropes him and stuff and like ah I see he's just a bad guy so it's totally fine when our hero quote unquote buries him alive at the end you know what I mean mm-hmm. so they're just like let that's the only reason this scene exists is just to give us a, a little bit more 
uh, on the side of the scale of us being like, okay, yeah, bury this guy a lot. You know what I mean? I think that's all it is. The, the whole thing is very clunky. Yes. So this scene in the movie makes literally no sense. And I don't know if it was a late ad edited thing to make a, a, in the interaction in the scene after this makes sense. But so at one day he's following them on their drive. Mm-hmm. Like they take this trip through the desert to go from Vegas to wherever. I don't even to know. LA, I or think. LA or something. And they drive through the desert to do it every time. And he's following them and they go through a detour and he follows them and he pulls up and he ends up right behind them mm-hmm. in his car. And at exactly this moment, and I, I, I would have to watch this scene again to even parse why this happens in this moment. The computer screen in the car randomly somehow connects like who he is. His his information well, pops up on the screen for I, some reason. I think they search his license plate. Oh, the car searches the license plate just randomly. Well, I think the, the driver does. Oh. The, either the driver or the bodyguard. I'm pretty sure they like search his license plate. And okay, none of this is in the book. Okay, absolutely none of this. And I'm pretty certain. That the whole, like, searching his license plate and then having him pop up on the camera so that Dolan can see him. I'm pretty sure that the movie does this solely to explain how they know it's him. In the next scene. In the next scene when they're at the rest stop. Yes, for sure. Is that scene in the book? No. No, okay. But what reason do they have to run it? In the first place. Yeah, that was my question. Is what doesn't make any sense. Like, there's no earthly reason for them to do that. Does the car automatically run? Maybe this is, again, and I wonder if this is one of the things that they, that it was maybe cut or something that this car, because there's a scene later where his car has, after he's down in the, in the hole, Mm -hmm. where he pulls out an oxygen mask and it's like breathing like a, like, like he's on an airplane that lost pressurization. Like, he has an oxygen mask thing, and he's breathing through that at some point later in the movie. And I was wondering if there was, like, all of these details about the car that were supposed to get set up at some point that are just never, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. there's never a scene where we get, like, because that's the thing that would make sense. If we have, like, a five-minute scene, because it is called Dolan's Cadillac, of them explaining all the features on this car that is, like, so like a James Bond yeah, car kind like of a thing. It's got it's got oxygen. It, you know, it, yeah. if you fall in underwater, it's got flotation devices and it's got a security system that automatically runs the plates of every car around you, so nobody will ever sneak up on you. Like a line like that would at least explain what's going on here. But I, they never do that, and I Mm-mm. did not understand why they just randomly search his license plate pops up and then the backup camera turns on and they see him in the car and i'm like what is happening i that's the weirdest scene in this whole movie to me but yeah it really is just to set up because then he he drives away and they Mm -hmm. follow him to like a rest stop and they like beat him up yeah and dolan like intimidates him and calls him a coward or whatever basically and 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 uh it's like ah you won't kill me you're a coward essentially and yeah it's just so that they know who he is and know where he is in that moment right so strange such a weird, and I get that interaction. I get wanting that interaction with Dolan, like that personal, like to give them. And I'm wondering if that whole section wasn't a reshoot. And like maybe that, that whole thing with the bathroom scene and the setup for it. They're like, we got to get them together before the end of the movie. 
You know what I mean? And like yeah. they got to note, like we got to somehow get them to interact with each other before the end of the movie so that the payoff is better. So that like. Right. Because the movie needs a reason for Dolan to recognize him at the end. Yeah. When he's burying him until or to like know who he is. Yeah. At least. <sighs> but it's so clunky. It's so clunky. It's so clunky. Oh, my gosh. Uh, there's another monologue in the movie that where Dolan goes on this big monologue about falling objects and he goes into like a weird like physics lesson about the nadir and the, which is like when the thing hits the bottom of the mm-hmm. and the arc of descent and all these different things. And it's like this big pretentious monologue again. And this is another moment where I was like, this is very clearly some shitty film student who wrote yeah. this. And not Stephen King. <laughs> is that the case? Or uh, the phrase "arc of descent" is from the book, but Dolan doesn't say it. It's not from a smart guy villain monologue. It's from the point in the story when Robinson is figuring out the exact dimensions and like how he needs to set up his trap. Oh, uh, okay. So that the Cadillac will like fall neatly into it and be trapped. That makes sense because that's not something the movie ever discusses. And that was something I was thinking about is after the car does fall into the hole. I'm like, man, I'm sure hope you dug that exactly the right size or whatever, because he spends a lot of time not making sure that they can't just like get out. Yeah. (laughs) Like it could have just gotten out Um, because like after it falls in, our guy like hides in the van for a minute as more cars come and he's like doing other stuff for like 10 minutes. And then I'm like, man, they could have just got out in that time. But okay. So, as we mentioned in the beginning, he's a teacher. Both of them were teachers. Yes. Uh, Him and Elizabeth were both teachers. Uh, And during this whole sort of descent into madness after Elizabeth dies that that he goes through, he is still a teacher. And uh, after he gets beat up in the rest stop, we even get a scene of him going into school and he's like bruised and bloody and he's like knocking things off. Like he throws all the stuff off his desk. And I was... Like, man, he's still they're still letting him teach. And now, again, we may we don't know. He may have gotten fired after that, but they don't they don't imply that because it's implied that he has. No, he is still a teacher after that because he takes a three day weekend Mm -hmm. (laughs) over Labor Day so that he's not teaching so that he can do this whole plan. Yeah. (laughs) So he's still a teacher after having a complete mental breakdown in front of his students and like breaking things. Is that does that play out like that in the book? Um, I mean, he does keep his job as a teacher, but he doesn't have a really obvious breakdown like he does in the movie. His need for revenge does consume him, but it manifests in a way that's measured and meticulous and not just like drinking all the time and having like a really, really obvious. Yeah. I mean, the book, all of the events of the story are also much further removed than what's implied in the movie like much further removed from her actual death. Like it's mm-hmm. been years. Right. So there's that. So to he's, consider. it's not quite as raw and he's not in the same sort of just completely like. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, raw, like untethered emotional state. He's like you said, it's more meticulous. It's about he's he's turned into like a cold sort of. It's yeah, revenge is a dish best served served cold. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. So uh, once he comes up with his plan, because uh, he realizes he can't shoot him because he's too much of a coward to do that, I guess, is what's implied by the sort of bathroom interaction. Um, so he's got to come up with another plan, and he comes up with this plan uh, to 
because he knows he makes this drive all the time. He was going to like bury his car in the in the middle of the highway. And in order to do this, in order to sort of get this to happen, he's got to go become a road worker. And there's this montage and it's like the setup where he's introduced to the road crew head guy and he's like got to like tries to bribe him to let him work for them because they're like ah you won't cut it you know and and then there's like a montage of them like bullying him on the job and it was just this weird i don't know it felt i mean sure maybe but it felt again cartoony in a way that i i wasn't expecting uh is that whole plot line with him joining the road crew and then like being like high school bullies to him is that kind of not really okay he does join a road crew and the foreman and tinker uh Mm -hmm. don't think he'll be able to hack it but he they come around to him much more quickly he is miserable while working on the road crew like, there are lines where he's, like, uh, talking about how he was, like, shaking, but he, like, shaking but not falling down. And, like, his misery is more internal yeah. than what we see yeah, cause in, in the, the movie. Yeah, because in the movie, he's literally, like, falling over on yeah. the, on the jet, like, ugh. And then he's, like, the, the boss walks up with a jug of water and he, like, rips it out of his hand and it's, like, ugh. Like, yeah. it's, it, again, it's all so amateur how it's handled like it just it's oh it's 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 not a deft hand uh in the entire production process here um other than the performances i hadn't known about that but it, we'll get to it so then uh he comes up with this plan and we're still in the movie not really privy to what exactly his plan is we're just kind of i knew kind of roughly mm-hmm. based on what you had said what the ultimate plan was and from the trailer it kind of gives it away honestly if you've watched the trailer <laughs> it's very clear how this is going to end at least roughly uh, and he, we see him at one point in his house, he's painting these big canvases and he's got gray paint and he's like painting them. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I'm assuming what that is, is he's painting like fake road to cover the hole and make like a deadfall trap basically. And, uh, but my favorite thing in that moment is that he's not just painting them. He's like angry. It reminds me of if any, if people have seen spaced the TV show Spaced, which was Simon Pegg and Nick Frost's TV show with Edgar Wright before, like, Shaun of the Dead and all that. One of their neighbors is a guy named Brian, and he, like, angry paints. There's, mm-hmm. like, these montages of him. Like, he's an artist, and he's like, Aah! he, like, screams, and he, like, stabs the the uh, the canvas with paintbrushes, which is almost exactly what he's doing in this moment. Um, and he does a very angry paint job uh, on these canvases. I wanted to know if that's... That's what happens in the book. The book does mention that he uses painted canvas to cover the hole in the road to create his trap, but there is no angry dramatic arts and crafts scene. Uh, that was so delightfully cheesy. This is another one of those little bits of dialogue. We get a voiceover from Robinson talking about how he has to do it over Labor Day weekend because he's got a three-day weekend and that's enough time. And he has this monologue during this moment about how much time that is. And he's like, three days, 72 hours x amount of minutes x amount of seconds like he goes to you know breaks it and it's just again one of the more juvenile Mm -hmm. sophomoric uh film student right screenwriting moments in this script uh is that is that the sort of dialogue about time or monologue about time from the book no Uh, in the book he does this his whole setting the trap and everything over fourth of july weekend Mm. not labor day weekend which i i'm not really sure what the purpose of changing that was but whatever uh he does keep track in the book of 
like the number of hours that have passed. Right. But it's not in a single monologue about like how much time he has. Right. It's more like after the fact, he'll be like, I've been setting up this trap for 36 hours or whatever. Yeah. And I mean, he doesn't need to keep track of the time because of when he knows. Yeah. He has a very specific window that he needs to hit. And that all makes sense. Again, it was just the very specific choice to have him like list out the the, break down the amount of time he had into like smaller and smaller Mm -hmm. segments and and, and the very pretentious like uh, Batman-y like monologue style thing was just, oh, God. So then after uh, he he digs this hole um, and he's we get another insert shot of him or no, this is while he's working. I don't even remember. We get it. We get the same shot from the beginning of him screaming and staring at his his glo- shredded gloves. And I think this mm-hmm. is after he's dug the hole or something. Yeah, like that. that's while he's still setting up his yeah. trap. Yeah. But, and, and he's like, ah, and he screams and he's looking at his hands and his, uh, you know, it's very dramatic, mm-hmm. uh, very melancholia and uh, very bad. But is it <laughs> from the book? Do we have anything like that? Um, the book does put a lot of emphasis on how badly he wrecks his body, pulling this whole thing off. Uh, sunburn blisters he slips a couple discs in his back realistic body horror yeah we'll call it there's no scene of him screaming looking at torn gloves though man disappointed so then uh ultimately dolan wants to make more and more money so he's 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 got he's got to graduate from smuggling uh human trafficking women into the country he can make more money with this other thing he doesn't know what it is and as he's driving up to the He's on his way to the hole at this yeah, point. Yeah, they're on the highway. They're, like, coming up to it, and he gets a call, and he finds out that, in fact, the thing that he's now involved in trafficking is children. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's he seems visibly upset about it, and, again, sort of giving us this inkling of humanity to him, I guess, is the idea. And I wanted to know if that angle is anything that takes place in the book. Not a plot element. It's such a strange choice, because again, they've they've spent so much time. Other than that one scene in the beginning where he sort of sees himself as the good guy and he's helping people or whatever, even though he's not. Uh, from the rest of the movie, he's just been like a cartoon villain, like a mm-hmm. literal cartoon, like just screaming racial slurs and like and slapping women on the butt and like, yeah, and beating up our our protagonist basically. Uh, and then all of a sudden, right before the end moment, the movie does this like truly again sophomoric like, ooh, look. He did, he doesn't like that he's trafficking kids. Now now your now your 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 conscious is complicated for the scene that's about to happen. Not really. No, not really. The fact that he didn't feel great about <laughs> human trafficking kids, okay. It's not even like he didn't do it. He just didn't feel great when he found yeah. out. He was like, "Oh man. That sucks. I got to go back to human trafficking adults after this." <laughs> It's so stupid. Uh, but you said, so that's not just no. not even a thing from the book. So after it falls in the hole, uh, the driver dies instantly. His his muscle in the front seat's got his leg broken. He's stuck there, and he's just, like, screaming the whole time. Um, but then Robinson and him just, like, chit-chat for, like, quite a while uh, as he's, like, at first he's pretending he's there to help him, and, then, like, he's called, uh, like, the police or whatever, 
and then ultimately they sort of figure out who he is. He figures out, oh, this is Robinson because he calls him Dolan and that sort of thing. How does any of that dialogue take place in the book? How does that play out? Is it similar to the movie? Is they, Do they have a back and forth? Uh, they do talk, not as much as they do in the movie. In the book, Dolan immediately realizes that there's something going on. Oh, okay. So, where you know, whereas in the movie, it kind of seems like he genuinely at first thinks that he's just been in an accident. Oh, yeah, he definitely thinks he's just been in an accident yeah. at first. Yeah. But in the book, he immediately is like, there's something going on here. Right. So in the book, it starts with him making that offer of money mm. to Robinson. Gotcha. Uh, and then Robinson counter proposes the money offer and says, I'll let you out if you can scream loud enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then so... Dolan starts screaming, uh, and that's obviously he was never going to let him out. But is that is that yes, element from that the book? That is actually directly from the book. That I had a feeling was because that felt very Stephen King. Yes, yeah. <laughs> it felt like it made sense. That's the kind of macabre and like horrifying, like uh, psychological torment mm-hmm. thing that made sense. That also is that anything to do with the the? Because this is very clearly inspired by the cast of Amontillado, which we'll talk mm-hmm. about. We talked about in the prequel. Is there anything to do with that, like the screaming in the in that story um, that you remember? I don't know when the last time. I would have to reread to see if there's, like, a direct correlation to gotcha. it. The two characters in Cask of Amontillado do have a conversation. Yes. And there is, like, an, some attempt on the part of Fortunato, who is the one being bricked in, yeah. to, like dissuade the other person from carrying out that deed. Gotcha. Then some complete nonsense happens in this movie, which has already been a little bit of it. But (laughs) Robinson asks (laughs) Dolan if his computers are working in his car. And Dolan's like, no, it says... 404 air. This address doesn't work. He like he reads, reads every the word, screen. the entire screen, which is bonkers. And then Dolan's or Robinson is like, okay, here's what I need you to do. You're going to go to the browser or you're going to go to the dress bar and you're going to write HTTP colon backslash. And I was like, what? We paused the movie and laughed. We both burst into a hearty guffaws, hearty laughter at that moment when he goes, HTTP, and I was like, oh, no. So none of that is from the book. Ah, uh, yeah, because it's the which 80s. It's the right? 80s, yeah, yeah. so obviously none of that is from the book, none of the internet stuff. But I want to just talk about that. That's an aware joke, right? I don't think it is. Are you, are you sure? I don't because think it, it is. Because it felt like something out of an SNL skit. I think it, this movie was 2009. I think it maybe was just around, I don't know. because. But anyway, so the whole point is that he puts in that address and that somehow t- gets somehow to a webcam. that connects to a webcam that shows Rob, what Robinson is doing yeah. so he can like watch himself being buried alive. I, yeah, like. and they can he can see him. I, it's a very weird thing. Um, and yeah, it's... <laughs> But the yeah yeah that HTTP part I was oh boy that was a that was a good belly laugh we I both, came out of nowhere it was so and it was amazing it was so amazing you go to the address bar and type HTTP I really wanted the whole thing they don't go I actually think he does do the whole thing but oh it's so funny uh, and then there's this great line which is once again just 
truly terrible uh, film school hack is uh, Robinson's yelling at him and he says to Doland, it tears me to pieces to think about how you tore my wife to pieces. And I, my eyes almost rolled out of my head. Is that line from the book? Not that specific line. Robinson does occasionally say she was in pieces to himself as like a sort of mantra that push himself to keep going sure. with his plan. But that specific line is not the specific book. line. It tears me to pieces to think about how you tore my wife to pieces is it's so, so bad on the nose. Yes. And and, and it, it doesn't even feel like I read it and it didn't even it doesn't even feel clever in any way, which is one thing. It's like it's one thing if you come up with a line that's like kind of eye rolly that at least feels clever. That line's not there's nothing about it. It's just it's it's <laughs> it's something that. A person who thinks that they're clever but isn't comes up with because they think it's clever. Yeah, but it's, oh, oh, it's just. And it's not remotely anything that a person who is in the frame of mind that Robinson is would think to say. Yeah. Yeah. And it also just doesn't even sound cool when you say it. It tears me to pieces to think about how you tore my wife to pieces is it's so clunky because it repeats yeah. words in a way that isn't interesting. Like it, there's not like a, an uh, irony yeah, to it, it or it, anything. It repeats just, words in a way that doesn't have a nice cadence no. or it, it's not, um, there's no parallelism to it. It's just repeating words. Yeah. It's so bad. I was like, Oh God. Okay. And then he asks, at one point, he calls uh, Dolan again as he's been burying him for hours or whatever now. And he calls Dolan and he asks him, do you believe in God? And Dolan's like, yeah, 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 yes, yes. And then uh, Robinson says, I don't. And then hangs up the phone and keeps burying him. And that's like literally that whole interaction. And I was like, what was that? about?" Okay. Um, And so I was trying to figure out what that whole and I'm assuming what they're going for there is literally just. This is also why I'm asking if it's in the book to see if there's any added context if it is in the book. I'm assuming what he's going for here is sort of like a because he doesn't believe in God or like he killed his faith in God when he killed his wife, whether or not he did. They don't ever set this up. They don't ever establish whether or not he does believe in God and what that means. You know what I mean? That sort of religion is not a a piece of the puzzle to begin with in any way. Like they don't, they don't show him going to church, them going, you know what I mean? There's no setup for this. It's just like this line. And I was like, okay, so maybe the idea is that because he doesn't believe in God, he feels like he needs to, you know, he's the one who has to dole out justice or whatever, like is kind of what they're going for. I guess. Is is it in the book? It's not from the book. And yeah, I think they're going for something like that or maybe like a commentary on how Robinson is now become God kind of a thing. Right. And that would even been a better line is, you know, and maybe that's a line from Batman or something. There's a line. There's definitely a line from some movie where uh, because if he says something like, do you believe in God? And he goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, you know, something like that. And um Something about where Robinson is like, no, I'm God now, or so you know, some yeah. some sort of spin in that way because he is like his his life is in his hands, he control, you know, some turn that way, but just like no, or he goes, I don't, and it's like, okay, okay, and then but what does that have to do with how is that a taunt to Dolan like necessarily? It's just none of it. Well, yeah, because none of it is set up. Yeah, and again, it's one of those things where if they had set this up in some way, 
where like this was a faith was an important part of his life or so, something. Or even if we had set up that like Dolan is ironically religious yeah. or something. Yeah. Or or Dolan wasn't religious and that was somehow known. And then yeah. now in this moment, he's like, yeah, I do. Oh, yeah. Like because he thinks like him like he thinks that's what Robinson wants to hear. So he's like, yeah, I, I am like, oh, I can be forgiven sort of thing. And right. then Dolan's like, no. But again, none of this is ever set up. It's just this one off. It's just, thing just, just this random exchange uh, at the end so that I weird. guess we're supposed to find powerful. Yeah, I think that's the idea. But, but it's, there's no meaning to it. No, there's nothing behind it. So it's just like, OK, cool good for you so then i couldn't help but interpret it as because i again i think it's what i said of like him being the one doling out justice but it's like i also couldn't help but feel it as some sort of weird like (laughs) vaguely like um uh sort of vague burn on like irreligious people of like he doesn't have see he doesn't believe in god he doesn't have it he's he'll do it he's crazy because he doesn't believe in god you know what i mean i don't don't know no yeah I, I mean, I feel like there's not even enough for me to get that kind of reading I, from I it. This whole thing's stupid. Um, and then, so that finally it gets to the end when he's, he's, he's finally finishing burying it, and he's uh, he's looking through the sunroof because we've established that this car is like a sunroof on top, mm-hmm. and he's got the rest of the car buried, and he's looking through the sunroof, and, and Dolan's lo- yelling at him, and it's uh, I've it's been a long time since I read the Cask of Amontillado, if I ever have, but it's very, felt very clearly inspired by the story. Because from my memory, they are, and you said he's bricking up yeah. the wall, basically. And uh, so this is like the last brick, and it's over the sunroof so they can actually see each other. And he says, for the love of God, Robinson, which we talked about in the prequel. Yeah, is a, a direct reference to, for the love of God, Montresor. Yes. From the end of Cask of Amontillado. Uh, and then he drags the brick over the sunroof window slowly and puts it in place. Is that... From the book, is that how it plays out in the book? Is there a sunroof or is it? The line, yes, okay. is from the book. And that is, like I said, the specific yeah. reference to Cask of Amontillado. In Dolan's Cadillac, the book, Robinson doesn't drag a brick over the sunroof because that makes no sense. But I think it is also intended to be a reference yeah. to Montresor putting in the last brick at the end of Cask of Amontillado. Yeah, I think that's what's intended by the film. Okay, and then does the book end and the and the movie ends uh, after he puts the last brick in and he closes it all off? He gets a call from the FBI and they're like, "We got him. We caught. We busted his whole human tran- uh, trafficking ring. We got him all arrested. He's gonna. He's going down." And he's like, "Good." And he hangs up the phone and the camera pulls back and it's an okay moment. It's you know, kind of how I figured the movie would end. The camera pulls back and and Robinson's laying there like maniacally laughing laying on top of the the tomb essentially that he has created is that how the book ends no okay <laughs> how does the book end it ends with robinson going about his life because revenge is a dish best served cold all right there you go see i didn't mind the movie kind of this 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 uh, it implies that this is like extracting this revenge has essentially broken him and now he he's like he's not the idea that you know the, the revenge in this sort of way isn't exactly a great idea and that it, it, it in fact will sort of ruin you as a human. And the fact that he kind of just laughs maniacally laying there implies to me that like, yeah, he's it's not, this isn't, wasn't a great thing. This is all just bad. Basically <laughs> like it's kind of the movie is saying to me in that moment, um, which worked for me, but it's, it's interesting if in the book it's, it seems to maybe not go that way. 
Mm-mm. Interesting. Okay. Well, let's talk about it. What was better in the book? You like to read? Oh, yes. I love to read. What do you like to read? Everything. All right. I have a handful of things here. First off, Dolan. The book gives very few details about Dolan and what he does, which I prefer. The only things we really know about Dolan are that he's involved with organized crime, everyone is afraid of him, and that Elizabeth was killed while waiting to testify about something that she witnessed. We don't know what exactly, but that Dolan gets away with it again, right? Mm -hmm. Because he's a bad guy. Yes. Personally, I think this is something better off left to the imagination. Like, we can trust our audience to build their own idea of who Dolan is and why he's a bad guy. Now, we've talked about this a little bit. The movie tells us a lot about Dolan. We know exactly what it is that he does. And the way that the movie sets him up is so clunky and so puzzling to me because we swing back and forth from these extreme moments of him, like just spewing racial epithets. I can't freaking say that word. Epithets. Epithets. And all of this horrible stuff that he does. But then we have like this random moment of him, like thinking about or talking about how he's the one helping poor unfortunates cross the border, or he's so uncomfortable with trafficking kids. And I know what the movie is doing is trying to make us feel conflicted Mm -hmm. about everything. And for me, it doesn't work. Like they're not building sympathy for him because he's clearly still a really bad guy. Like, am I supposed to feel bad about him getting buried alive? I don't. Yeah. I don't think it works. I think we know too much about him and I think it's better off left a little more to our imagination. I don't disagree. Um, I the movie is definitely trying to build a little bit of sympathy, which I agree doesn't really work. Because I think the movie is trying to do a couple things. One, I think it's trying to like be like, ah, people are more complicated than sometimes you would imagine they are. Like maybe he's not. He's not purely evil. You know, he sees himself as the good guy. That sort of thing. If their goal was for us to feel bad about him, sort of being killed at the end i don't think it works if their goal was for us to think about it a little bit and be like ah people are more interesting and complicated and just to have him be a more layered villain for the film i think that kind of works a little bit not not particularly well the thing that i think works for me is that and this doesn't really even have anything to do with dolan dolan could still be a completely horrible person is that i think the movie wants us to 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 feel bad for Robinson careening into this path is what I think I'm get because it clearly takes a huge physical toll on him. This, 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 um, this route of going out for revenge, uh, and, and, and like being the one to, obviously the system has failed him several times. Um, but also in the movie, it's, it kind of failed him, but also like his wife just like ran out. Like it wasn't their fault that she got killed necessarily. You know what I mean? Like, which is kind of complicated in the movie is that, you know, they, the, the movie wants us to question the system and whether or not it can actually extract justice. And that's why he has to do it. But also it wasn't the system that failed and is the reason his wife died. The reason she died is because she snuck out of protective service in the middle of the night. Yeah. So that makes it a little more complicated, but the movie, and this is what I get is that it wants us to question 
whether or not sort of this uh, 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 eye for an eye sort of vengeance thing is actually good because, you know, it clearly wrecks Robinson and he turns into like he loses his mind in the pursuit of it. And I think that's what the movie's going for. But that isn't helped by Dolan being a more layered villain necessarily like it doesn't help that message if dolan is a slightly more sympathetic character because i still yeah. don't like him it's i still don't clunky yeah it's just clunky and i still don't care about him it's clunky and i don't know like i'm left not knowing what they want me to get out of it because it's so clunky yes i agree and there's just too much going on yes for sure the movie also skips over almost the entire process of watching Robinson build his revenge plot, which is kind of the point of the story. Like in the movie, we see him do some of the same stuff, but in the book, he also does things like consult with a math teacher friend to figure out the exact dimensions that he needs to make this hole to ensure that Dolan can't get out of the car. Mm. He does this by telling his friend that he's writing a short story. That's not super important, but I figured I'd mention it in case we had questions. Um, and, like, at one point, he calls Dolan's house cleaning service, pretending to be a caterer, as a way to verify exactly when Dolan is set to arrive at his house in Las Vegas. In the movie, to me, it ended up feeling like he comes up with a bare minimum plan, yeah. and then he gets pretty damn lucky. Yeah, for sure. And he also, in the book, spends years in service of this plan seven years just watching dolan and like waiting for the perfect plot to come to him and then another two years working towards the actual revenge plot he knows dolan's routines inside and out i to me it felt like the movie loses all sense of time I swear at one point it, the movie says that he's been watching Dolan for years. Oh, I swear at one point it said that, but it felt like months. Yeah. To me, I, I thought it was months. Yeah. And I think it could have been more interesting if it had played out over years in service of their, the, and, and maybe it did, but it didn't feel like it. If the, if it had very clearly in the movie played out over the course of years, I think it could have helped add more to their what I think the movie is kind of going at, which is that the, this 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 path of revenge is destroying him. Uh -huh. And if it takes place over years as opposed to months, that feels more realistic and like that it's consumed his entire life, you yeah. know, after, of years of his life. But it also makes more sense that he feels that he needs to do this because clearly the system is not work. You know what I mean? Like if yeah. it's taken years and years and nothing is happening, it makes his motivation makes more sense because if it's been months, it's like, okay, well how they, the, the feds can't come up with all this like over the overnight, you know, it's good. But if it's been years and years, it makes his motivation to makes a little more sense. He's like, well, clearly they're never going to do anything about this so that he feels like he needs yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in the book, at one point, Robinson drives past Dolan as he has a flat tire on the side of the road and Dolan looks at him directly doesn't seem to recognize or remember him, which I feel like is realistic because why would somebody like Dolan remember the husband of one murdered witness? I also thought the way that the movie had Dolan fixate on her was weird. Like, yeah. why would he fixate on her? She's just another casualty of yeah. his lifestyle. But we also have that kind of adds insult to injury thing 
in the book where Dolan clearly doesn't recognize Robinson. And that's also a mirror to the cask of Amontillado, adding insult to injury. Also, I hated the line, I'm ready to bury the past. (laughs) The movie can fuck right off. That's that's another one of those absolutely uh, classic sophomoric film school lines. Uh, I also much preferred the book's version of having Robinson fantasize about shooting Dolan, but realizing that realistically he couldn't pull it off and he needs to find another way to do this. The movie has Robinson following Dolan around with a gun and then that scene at the urinals in the roadside bathroom. In the book, Robinson fantasizes about shooting him, but like he, you know, he acknowledges that he doesn't have the know-how to take down his armed guards, mm-hmm. which he doesn't. Um, and honestly, I feel like the movie could have had its cake and eaten it too if it had done something similar to Hush, mm. having Robinson imagine like confronting Dolan or like trying to shoot him and then realizing that he'll fail at it. But like where the audience doesn't necessarily know at first yeah, if what's, what's happening happens. is real. Yeah. yeah, because they I think the thing the movie does is it it it, it tries like it kind of sets up like, oh, this gang tries to do it and they fail. Like there's three yeah. of them and they fail. So like, oh, what chance does he have? But then the movie has to go the extra because clearly that's not the problem. Because his plan wasn't to spray bullets at the side of a car. His was just to shoot him as he walked by. And we've watched him in the desert becoming a good shot with this gun. So he should feasibly be able to hit this guy slowly walking to his car. He's not, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, so the plan seems possible. But then what the movie does, it goes further, which I think kind of works with the whole bathroom scene where he he basically calls him out and is like, you don't have, you know, that's you're, you're not the kind of you can't shoot me like you're not. There's like an extra level of sort of um, commitment or like uh, uh, you have to take an extra step, like this whole digging a hole in the desert and then the car falls into it. And like mm-hmm. there's like a removal there, like he's not actively like pulling the trigger kind of. I mean, yeah. he is, you know, but like so I, I the movie kind of goes for that angle, which I think works. But also it's yeah, I the way you I like your idea, though. I think if they if he had had it play out and realized he would fail, I think would actually be an interesting way to do that. Yeah. Also, the line, I sentence you to life. Fuck off, movie. (laughs) Fuck off with that. I also felt like the book had a more compelling version of Robinson. He is described as balding and like the kind of soft and chubby that comes with being middle-aged, although he does start working out in an effort to get onto the road crew. Mm -hmm. So conceivably, he's like more fit by the end of things. But I felt like... Watching somebody mm-hmm. who's basically like Walter White at the beginning of Breaking Bad would have been more compelling. Yeah. Like Wes Bentley did fine, but he's young and just seems reasonably fit the entire time. So yeah. like, where's the challenge? Yeah. I also didn't care for the movie's edition of the determined federal agent and then them like taking down Dolan's operation at the last minute. I think it doesn't work with the movie's weird timeline. Yeah. Like you said, I also think it's just extra stuff that the story doesn't really need. Yeah. Again, I think it's playing into the idea because they do take him down that Dolan's whole revenge was not the right way to go about this is again. I think that's trying to tie back to that thesis from the movie. 
but yeah, I, I don't think it's super necessary. It doesn't really end. Also, I think maybe there's like, oh, we got to ra- oh, remember all those kids. We got to, they're safe. Ooh, we saved them. <laughs> Ooh. All right, moving on. <laughs> uh, all right, let's go ahead and talk about what's better in the movie. My life has taught me one lesson, Hugo, and not the one I thought it would. Happy endings only happen in the movies. I thought it was interesting to actually get to see Robinson and Elizabeth interact with each other while she's alive. We don't get to see any of that in the book. I thought the movie might have been better served to do that through flashback. Yeah. But yeah. it's interesting yeah. at least. Yeah, because yeah, you don't she's just dead. Yeah. Yeah. I thought the corpse in the bed was at least an interesting visual. Yeah, I thought so too. It's a little it's bit cliche. Yeah. And I I think when I think about it too hard, it doesn't really make sense because they would absolutely just kill her. Yeah, they got into her home and they left the yeah. corpse there saying like, shh, like it had like a, it was holding a finger to its lips, like be quiet. But but it's it's interesting and creepy. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't mind the decision to give a visual aid to Robinson hearing Elizabeth's voice because that is an element in the movie yeah. where like he hears her voice like insisting that he'd seek revenge yeah, yeah. and like egging him on yeah, so, so we it, just see her we, just, we see like her her burnt corpse yeah which again is a little bit cliche but i get it and there's another moment where she's like she kind of just pops up in different moments not always like a corpse like other yeah. times she's like in the bathroom there's one moment where she's like oh we're pregnant or whatever and like he's hallucinating. yeah he like he hallucinates her a couple yeah. times yeah and it kind of works uh i went back and forth over this because i kind of hate it But in the movie, Dolan essentially gives Robinson the idea to bury him alive in his car. We see like when the when the um, FBI agent, when they find the buried truck with like the corpses of the women in it. And you kind of see like that. Oh, he gets this idea. You see like the light bulb go off. Uh, It's not a part of the book. But I thought there was at least an attempt at, like, dramatic irony there, which I appreciate. I also think it just kind of makes sense. Uh, Yeah, I think it works because, yeah, otherwise it's like, you know, does the book go into why he comes up with this plan, like, specifically? Or is it just he just has this idea one day, like the burying the car thing? So there's not a clear, like, moment of indication where he's like, aha, I'll bury him in his car. It's more like he initially gets the idea of like, oh, maybe I could set up a false detour. Mm. And then like once he's out in the desert, I can kill him somehow. But he realizes that he's not going to be able to pull that off. And then he thinks, well, maybe I can somehow trick him with a real detour. Mm -hmm. And then the plot moves forward from there. Gotcha. Now, there are a couple things here that I am willing to grant the movie. I will grant you that in the movie it makes more sense for Dolan to realize that it's Robinson burying him because of the urinal scene. I still don't like the urinal scene. Yeah. But in the book, Dolan just kind of magically arrives at that conclusion, despite earlier indications that he doesn't remember Robinson. Yeah. Which I think is supposed to show us how intelligent Dolan is, but it still seems kind of like deus ex machina E. And I also thought the movie finds a reasonable, if uncreative, way around the fact that Dolan has a cell phone, which is obviously not an issue in the 1985 right. short story. Yeah. Uh, he uses a, in the movie, yeah, he's he uses got like, like a, a jammer, portable basically. cell phone jammer yeah. thing. 
Because I was wondering, because then the phone starts ringing, and I was like, did you forget you had a... Well, here's again, here's where the movie fails, is that we never see him, at least I'm... Unless I'm misremembering, I don't think we ever see him try to use the cell phone. He says, like, shortly after they crash into the hole, he's like, says, like, internet's out, cell phone signal's uh, okay. out. I heard the internet's out part. I didn't catch the no cell phone yeah. part. Yeah. Which then the cell phone signal is out because of the jammer. The jammer. Okay. All right. We've got a few things that the movie nailed. As I expected, practically perfect in every way. Robinson and Elizabeth are both teachers in the book, so yep. the movie gets that correct. Um, all of uh, Robinson watching Dolan drive back and forth uh, to Vegas, I think it's from L.A. I don't remember. It's not really important because the important thing in the book is that he's going to Vegas yeah. since that's how he traps him. But there is, I mean, that's, like, basically all he does for a long time is, like, follow him and watch him. Yeah. Uh, Robinson bribing the road crew foreman with his pocket watch, which Uh was kind of a weird story element because it doesn't really go anywhere. But it is from the book. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't go anywhere. Yeah. Uh, The character Tinker, which was the, Uh the big black guy on the road crew. That he becomes friends with. Um, so his character in general and then him kind of becoming them kind of becoming like unlikely friends. Yeah. With each other. Um, the line, I drank his poisoned water and was refreshed is actually from the book. Which one is that? Uh, it's like that? while he's putting his plot into motion, mm. um, like whenever he feels like he can't continue to do it. He goes back to, like, observing Dolan. Uh, He drinks his poisoned water and was refreshed. Gotcha. Anew with more motivation. Yes. The bodyguard's bones poking out of his leg. Oh. And then Dolan shooting him. That's from the book. Mm Mm-hmm. And then uh, there's the point where Dolan, like, sticks his hand out of the the little, like, he can get the car door open, like, a couple inches. He sticks his hand out and, like, just wildly tries to shoot Mm-hmm. Robinson, and then says, did I get you, cocksucker? And that's from the book. Gotcha. Is the part where he pops open the sunroof and shoots at him from the book? No, that, it's not. Yeah, because he just <laughs> randomly, he, like, uses he sees, a knife. He sees the emergency exit. Oh, is that? I thought yeah. he, because well, I thought he got something with a knife. He's, like, stabbing. Oh, I don't know. I thought that somehow, because he's tried to get it open before, yeah, he couldn't. Yeah, he tried to get it open. And then he did something with a knife, and I thought maybe that somehow was able to get him to, because he, like, stabs the ceiling several times with a knife, and then he's able I to get know. it I don't know. Maybe he has to twist something. But he sees, like, at one point, he sees that there's an emergency gotcha. exit in the roof. Yeah, but which... he pops out, and he shoots at him some more, and then uh, <laughs> and then uh, Robinson sets the, the bucket from the backhoe on it, so he can't yeah. open it anymore. All right, we've got a few odds and ends, and then we'll get to the final verdict. What is Fortunato? Uh, So we mentioned in the prequel episode that the hotel that... uh, Robinson stays at it's called the it's Montresor. called the Montresor, which is the character from Cask mm-hmm. of Amontillado, who does the bricking in. Yeah. Uh Fortunato is the character who gets bricked in. Oh, and it's you said there's a moving truck? Oh, the moving the truck at the beginning it's it, the, the it's labeled like Fortunato moving or something gotcha. like that. I was surprised that that wasn't in the 
trivia anywhere. Yeah. Because the Montresor was. Yeah, somebody noticed the hotel, but they didn't notice that. Yeah, the yeah. one with the, 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 they're bringing the immigrants in at the beginning, right? Is that what you're talking about? Mm-hmm. That truck? Yeah. Interesting. Uh, when he buys his big uh, fuck off revolver, the lady selling him the gun says, she goes, she gives, gives like a very dramatic sh- spiel about how powerful, you know, she's mm-hmm. like, it's a, Blah blah blah, double action. But she says double action at one point, and I I don't I know very few things about guns, but I know what a double action and single action revolver are, and and maybe he just doesn't know, and maybe that kind of works. But she says it's double action, but every time we see him shoot it, he always pulls the hammer back each time, which that's what a double action is, is that you don't have to pull the hammer back in order to shoot it. Single action means you have to pull the hammer back. Yeah. Uh, and then to shoot or else it won't do anything like it won't cock itself and it won't spin the chamber. But Mm -hmm. double action does it for you. But he always pulls the hammer back and you can do it that way. But I just thought it was weird. And now maybe that's just because he doesn't know anything about guns. So maybe he thinks he had like a cowboy. He thinks he has to pull it back every time, which is like the single action is like why in cowboy movies where they do the thing where they like hit the hammer Uh with their hand is because it's single action and they have to pull the hammer back each time. Anyways, I thought it was a little detail that was just weird. That is kind of weird. There's a scene uh, shortly after his wife dies where he says that he's taking the antidepressants and then they show a shot of a dead goldfish with the antidepressants like at the bottom of the tank. (laughs) Which is like, hello and welcome to film school. And I didn't even go to film school. So much of this movie is so much of it. It's very sophomoric is, is what it is. It's just incredibly sophomoric. That's maybe that's not the right word. Um, it's just hack. It's very trying to be more. Uh, yeah, like trying to be deep, trying to be deep, uh, trying to be deeper than it actually is. I thought they did a good job making Wes Bentley look all strung out. And like when he is going through his his drinking and, and being depressed and all that, he looks very sickly. Mm-hmm. Like whoever they got to do the makeup did a pretty good job. He looks yeah. Uh, he goes from looking for relatively healthy and normal to looking like he doesn't sleep anymore. <laughs> so I thought that was pretty good. There's one point where uh, Robinson says to the FBI guy, he says, like, I have sixth graders who could put that guy in the electric chair. And I'm just trying to like, I'm like, what does that mean? Like, is it? I could think of two possible meanings. One, I think that I think is more likely is that it's a really weird way to complain that it's taking too yeah, long. I think that's what it is. The other option is that he's saying he has sixth graders who could do this job better than the FBI. I think that's the same thing. I think that's kind of two versions. Yeah. I think what he's saying is that, like, why are you taking so long? Um, you know, this, this, this case is easy. My sixth grader could like, it'd be like being, if, you know, if, if you're, if you're going, uh, it's an open and shut case, like a sixth grader could argue this case type it's of thing. It's such a weird way to say it, it is. any of that. It is. He's cause he says uh, my sixth grader could put him in the electric chair and it, and it almost reads like. He's, it almost reads to me like he's saying that his sixth graders could physically overpower yeah, Dolan yeah. and sit him into an electric chair. Or that his sixth graders are ruthless. and I, It's very weird. It's written weird, and, but I, I think I know what he's going for, but it's a weird line. We yeah. both like, we're like, what? Why would you say that like that? That's such a weird... Okay, sure. 
when he's getting ready to make his final drive to L.A. or whatever, uh, there's a shot of um, Christian Slater of Dolan in his hotel room and he's standing at the window and in the background. And I only noticed this because I had was on the Wikipedia page for the cask of Amontillado at times while we were watching this, looking at stuff and the artwork on the Wikipedia page for the story, which I assume is from. I don't know, maybe the, I don't know when it, where some it's from. illustration yeah, at some point it's from illustration. The exact illustration on the Wikipedia page was hanging on his wall in the background. And I was like, very subtle movie. Nice. Well done. <laughs> I think this line is right after the Asian gang tries to shoot Dolan, I think is when he says this, but he says, uh, nobody shoots fucking JD meaning Jimmy Dolan. Yeah. But, and maybe this wasn't what they were going for, but I caught it. JD is Christian Slater's character from Heathers. That's his name, oh. is JD. And he gets shot by Winona Ryder's character at the oh, end of the movie. Oh, that, that, if they did that on purpose, that's good. That's, that's a clever little Easter egg. That could be a clever little Easter egg. Could be. Because, yeah, it works both ways. <laughs> yeah. For sure. That's fun. I like that. I hope that was a clever Easter egg. For a movie that goes so hard at trying to be clever, it, it, there's no way that wasn't on purpose. I would guarantee because it's just clever enough that they could have pulled it off, but it's not that clever. Yeah, so it's definitely something they did <laughs> on purpose. I will say that I think the the actual murder plan itself is fairly clever, not from like a writing standpoint, but just like if you're actually wanting to kill somebody and get away with it, it yeah. feels like not the worst plan. It in the feels world. like. <laughs> mildly doable right i was like this seems like you could actually pull this off and now the biggest problem i think would be uh because somebody cut up the road and like it becomes like then the suspects narrow down pretty quickly like once they find it but maybe right. they don't find them maybe if somehow you well he talks about at the end of at the end of the short story he says that they did eventually make it to repaving that portion of the road but as he suspected, they were just doing their jobs and nobody noticed that, like, oh, the asphalt broke up a little bit yeah. too easily. Stuff like that. I mean, in the movie, they show him and he's clearly, like, putting down, like, squares of brick. Yeah. Which, I mean, it would break up, like, kind of geometrically, but not, like, that smooth and yeah. geometrically. Well, they show him cutting it. He actually is cutting the... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah but yeah, it... it and he puts, yeah, he puts all it's, the bricks back. I mean, in the, it's very clearly like they went to the garden store yeah, and, and like bought like pavers. Yeah. But he also, in the book, he buries the car enough. That's why I said earlier that him pulling the, putting the brick over the sunroof doesn't make any sense. It doesn't even make sense in the movie. Because, I mean, yeah, that would, that would cave in and blah, 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 blah. Right. But also, yeah, they would find the car immediately upon breaking up the road. But in the book, he buries it enough to where they're going to break up the road, but they're not like they would have to dig deeper to find right. the car. But it also doesn't make sense in the movie because it's very clear. And I noticed this while watching it, that he pulls the brick over the window, but then it cuts and then it shows that he had put a lot more dirt on. So mm -hmm. the only thing that makes sense is that he did that for dramatic effect in the movie and then took it off and put a bunch more dirt on and yeah. then put the brick down again, because very clearly where he's putting that brick at, the car is not. There's not enough, like, it doesn't make, like, mm -hmm. yeah, because the car is far enough down that he would have to put several feet of dirt on the car before he put the pavement back in. Yeah. 
and then the movie shows it that way but then it just shows him they wanted to do the dramatic shot of him dragging the brick over the window so they did that and then they're like oh well we still need to put a bunch more dirt on the car so there's no way he he had to have done that and then he had to pull it back off and put dirt on the it's so stupid yeah I will say, and I mentioned earlier, that I think both Wes Bentley and Christian Slater uh, do a fine job. Like the, perf- mm-hmm. the performances are the best part of this movie. They're not amazing by any stretch, but they're the best part because the writing is very weak. The direction is meh. It's okay. It's better than a lot of terrible movies, but it's not great. Uh, and the writing is very clunky and, and mediocre uh, and, 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 again, hackish and, like, sort of yeah. film school level. But uh, the performances are pretty good from our two main characters who are getting 90% of the screen time. Yeah. Um, okay, I want to talk about this a little bit. <laughs> There's one one point. Um, so, okay. So part of uh, what we see Dolan doing with his human trafficking racket Mm -hmm. is that he wants to traffic more attractive women so that he can get so that he can get more money for them and at one point he says like did they find a refugee camp full of supermodels or something and i had been wondering the same thing yeah because the movie went from him trafficking a bunch of like normal looking women. Yeah, just normal people, yeah. To like trucks full of really beautiful women in with like lingerie. in laundry, <laughs> yes. With like no indication of how or why we made that switch. Yeah. And then like in the first scene where it's all girls in lingerie, they don't seem particularly troubled to be there. No. Like they... and like far from me to like victims playing <laughs> but like the one girl in the red bustier whose ass he slaps is like smirking she's at like him smirking it's like they didn't tell her what her role was yeah. it's like in her head she's like just a prostitute or something yeah who's like who's like yeah, choosing it, it to really be is. there i was like i don't know what i'm supposed to get out of this because it really does seem like nobody said to this actress yeah. Oh, by the way, you're being human trafficked. Yeah, yeah. she really she has Act her arms, accordingly. She has her arms crossed, and she's like, "Yeah, I'm hot." Yeah, what's up? I was like, like I don't know what I'm supposed <laughs> yeah. to be getting from this. It is a very weird. Yeah, it is very very strange. Yeah, it's totally true. In that, I didn't even think about it, but you're right. In that moment, yeah, because she's not the only one. Several of those women, after they just magically turn into like lingerie models, like halfway through the movie, they are they are not reacting in a way because early on they're all like scared and like you yeah. know you can tell they're like uh, that sort of thing. But yeah, they're just like they're like nonchalant, like mm, whatever, just, like posing. They I'm really like, do. They, it's like it's like they told them they were prostitutes. Yeah, like and that you're like you know. It's like you're working a job and you you think that you know you just kind of used to putting up with jerky dudes like that's your that's what you're yeah. doing here it's like that's not what they're doing here but okay sure yeah it was very interesting all right time for the final verdict now uh, are you ready for your sentence sentence but there must be a verdict first sentence first verdict afterwards all right So I mentioned earlier that the book gives very few details about Dolan and that this lack of specifics mirrors the cask of Amontillado, which, again, is a very clear inspiration. Stephen King's short story is essentially a modernized retelling of 
the cask of Amontillado with a little bit more focus on how the narrator actually gets to the point Mm-hmm. of being able to exact his revenge. And in both the Cask of Amontillado and Dolan's Cadillac, we don't get a lot of details about like backstory or exactly what happened, but ultimately it doesn't matter. Like we still have to follow the narrator down the path that he set. And I think by both telling us a lot of details and trying to make us kind of unsure about Dolan Mm -hmm. and give him more layers. The movie goes for this like postmodern approach of like moral ambiguity and trying to make us question if Robinson is justified in his revenge, which is poorly executed, Mm -hmm. but also whether or not the revenge is justified kind of isn't the point. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely something that you can think about and consider, but the point is to watch Robinson exact it and feel something, whether that something is horror or triumph. But these actions were or were not justified. They're both conclusions that you can arrive at, but neither is a conclusion that the story tries to lead you to. Right. And I felt like the movie was very clearly trying to lead the audience to one of those two places. Mm -hmm. So to me, the movie completely blows past or maybe misunderstands the point of both of its inspirations, which is kind of a wild... Thing to have done. Yeah. I also hate postmodernism, so there's that. But anyway, uh, Stephen King's Dolan's Cadillac tells a simple but ultimately satisfying story. I think it would make a compelling short film. The movie, in trying to push it into a feature length action thriller, unnecessarily overcomplicates things. Characters, plot, the entire point. It's also really clunkily done. Mm. Like, it's just not a good movie. So for those reasons, I'm going to give this one to the book. Well, all right, then. There you go. The short story is better. As always, you can do us a giant favor. Head over to patreon.com slash thisfilmslit. Support us for two, five, or 15 bucks a month. If you support us for 15 bucks a month, you can get a recommendation done on the show just like this one, which was Shelby's recommendation. But even at lower levels, you get access to things like bonus content. We just put out our bonus episode of Midnight Sun, which is a review of Midnight Sun, which is the uh, retelling of Twilight from Edward's point of view that Katie read and I listened to her talk about for an hour and a half. So you can get that at the $5 level. We also talk about TVs, movie shows, all that sort of good stuff. Check it out there. You can also follow us on social media, Facebook, Goodreads, Instagram, all those different places. You can also give us a review on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you listen, wherever you listen to us. Uh, you can toss us a five-star review. That helps out a lot. We're over 80 reviews on iTunes now, so that's delightful. Getting quite a few. Katie, everybody knows... But what's next? Up next, we're continuing our summer series. We're almost there. I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. Mm -hmm. Up next, we have The Twilight Saga, Breaking Dawn, Part 1. Part 1. So uh, that'll be in two weeks' time because we do have a prequel episode uh, next week where we'll be previewing uh, Breaking Dawn, Part 1. Part one and two. Well, we'll be previewing yeah. both. But uh, yes, uh, and we'll have a learning thing segment probably and all that sort of good stuff. Uh, but then once we do Breaking Dawn part one, we'll just have the very next week we'll be Breaking Dawn part two. We won't have a prequel episode. 
Um, we're just going to go right into it and knock it out and finish off our summer series right as summer ends. So it'll come out right at the end of September, right? I think ish, so. roughly. Yeah, ish, roughly. Yeah, in the ballpark. By the end of September, that's the end of summer in my book. You hit October, you're fully in fall. Fully into autumn in October, so. Come back in one week's time. We're previewing Breaking Dawn, and until that time, guys, gals, non binary, everybody else. Keep reading books. Keep watching movies. Keep, keep being awesome. awesome.